Let's pause and pray as we open up God's word together. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you make this word a living word speaking to our hearts today, to the church scattered, now gathered in worship before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we begin our summer sermon series where you'll be hearing from each of the voices on our pastoral team. We're going through the book of Mark. We're centering on Jesus this summer because we need to see who Jesus is, to see what Jesus did, and to see what Jesus longs to do in our lives and in our world today. Mark is action-packed with powerful, life-changing stories. Page after page, there's this immediately that characterizes how he speaks about the life and ministry of Jesus. Now here's how he starts. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Most scholars understand this brief sentence to summarize Mark's reason for writing this book. The point? To tell the story of God's good news made present in Jesus Christ. Later writers set out to create a more full account. Matthew and Luke begin with genealogies and begin with the obedience of Mary and the response. All of it begins before this point. But Mark? No, he doesn't seem to attempt that. These opening words tell us his purpose with his writing. So let's read on. Mark chapter one, verse one is where we'll start. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Am I making you hungry yet? And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Hear the word of the Lord. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created. This starts with God. It doesn't start with genealogies or, or obedience of people or the faithfulness or the rightness of time, but it just begins with God, the direct intervention of God. <sighs> Even right there, that's good news for us, isn't it? That God doesn't look for human invitation, but God just enters into our story, the beginning of the good news. 
Mark declares a new creation is beginning even now. Just like the creation that was directed by God in Genesis, this new creation inaugurated in Jesus Christ is begun by God. This was such a gutsy move for Mark. You gotta think of the context in which he is writing this. The word for good news is euangelion. Now this word was used to refer to the peace and prosperity that was brought about by the empire. Now Mark declares that it's not from Jesus, it's from Jesus, not Caesar, that peace and stability come. The good life, the life of security and redemption doesn't come from human might, Mark says. It doesn't come from force, but it comes from God. The good news. I proclaim to you the good news. Now, who's Mark writing to? Who are his hearers listening to this word? Mark's hearers were a Gentile community, mostly Gentile believers under persecution in around 70 CE. Now, they were new in this Christian faith and they were facing these challenges. Bad news, challenge upon challenge. Now, Mark brings heralding good news, this this message for these believers. This is the good news. It is not all finished. The story isn't done. You heard about Jesus. You heard this story and the story is not finished, Mark says. God is in the process of making all things new. Now notice it's not in the churches that God begins. It's on the edges. It's in the wilderness that John calls people out, offering forgiveness for sins and a baptism, and they come from everywhere. Unlike the religious establishment that would put a heavy burden on people who were wanting to follow after God, John brings something different. It's refreshing. It's new. Uh, Baptism and forgiveness where God's gift to the people is confession and forgiveness. All the people have to do is turn and repent and God gives them this freedom from guilt. It's not something earned, but something given. From the wilderness is where God speaks a fresh word to the people. From what wilderness do you need to hear a fresh word from God today? If only we have ears to hear, God wants us to see something new. Today we celebrate graduates. Today we celebrate especially those high schoolers and those college students who have, oh, you've completed this milestone, milestone. you worked hard, you have been diligent, you have made it. Congratulations, we celebrate you. We recognize this isn't how you thought your graduation weekends would be. Last weekend, many of you graduated from academy or from high school or from middle school or your college graduation is coming up or maybe it got postponed and it hasn't happened yet. But we celebrate you. We stop to acknowledge what you have accomplished. What one thing we've noticed is that the rallies at the protests that have been taking place high school, college students, graduates, you have been there. This generation has been showing up in force. 
Some of you have children that grew up in this church that are now young adults and they haven't been to church in years, but they've been showing up for Black Lives Matter gatherings. They've been showing up, adding their voice, raising up a sign, taking a knee in silence. The next generation is showing from the edges, from the margin, from the wilderness, perhaps this new and fresh word from God, this hope of God's renewal of all things, this new thing that God is doing among us showing a depth and empathy that is moving. Next generation, we need you. We need the power of your voice and how you are showing up in spaces and together working towards healing. We need you to tackle the systemic issues that we are facing together. You're not alone in this, but you inspire all of us. I'm awed by how you step out and step forward. We are a nation in need of repentance, of forgiveness, of healing. Now what Mark does here is interesting with this book is that most scholars believe Mark doesn't offer a conventional conclusion to the narrative like the other gospels. Just turn in your Bible or, or maybe on your app, just look for the very last and you'll notice something, at least in your printed Bibles, uh, that in chapter 16, there's parts of it that might be in italics for you. It's because most scholars, many scholars believe that it ends with Mark chapter 16, verse eight. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. It ends at this very first encounter with the empty tomb. Mark ends with this not being sure of what the women are going to do with this knowledge that the tomb is empty. The message of Mark is that the life and ministry and death and even the resurrection of Jesus are not the end of the story. These were set in motion, a world-changing story set in motion in the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. And it continues to this day. The good news in this book is the beginning in Jesus and now expanding in your life and mine, expanding in the lives of these graduates. You who witness so powerfully to the new thing that God is doing among us. The good news taking on life right before our eyes. Yes, this is a life-changing story. Perhaps you acknowledge that the story of Jesus has been the one that changed your life, shaped your life, formed you. But do we even begin to realize how life-changing this is? Is there room in our mind and our heart for Jesus? Yes, Jesus, not just a historical figure, not just a savior for us, the savior of the whole world, but the risen Lord, the living Lord who is with us and in us and renewing all things in our world today, bringing the kingdom close through each of us. Jesus, the one who continues to bring good news through the people of God. It's not good news for any of us unless it's good news for all of us. That's why I share firmly that I believe in the Black Lives Matter movement. 
Some of us have had conversations about this. The reason this matters is that the good news, uh, the story of freedom and equality and justice isn't good news unless it's good news for all of us. Until we have an equal society where all people are treated with this respect and dignity, and it's not yet good news. And we need to add our voices and our actions to making this a place where justice is truly for all. What does this mean for us believers at Azure Hills Church? Those of us who are staked out in the Inland Empire in Southern California in this particular time and place, what does it mean to you to, to believe that you are a part of the ongoing story of the good news brought about by Jesus in our lives today? I'm wondering, graduates, can you picture yourself as a player in this redemptive drama that continues in the world where God is working and moving in you? What part of is God inviting you to play in this drama of grace and love and redemption and healing and reconciliation? Because this calling is for all of us to be a part of this work of God. Oh, we see this in your lives even now. I affirm it. I am moved by it. I'm inspired by it. This generation is poised to bring healing together. Wounds from ages past. We long for good news, don't we? We hunger for it. Just read the headlines and you'll see why we hunger for good news. Just read our prayer list on the bulletin or in the email that you receive. One lost a husband, another lost a dear mom. He's battling cancer. She is weighed down by the cares of caring for her elderly parents. Another is looking for work and wondering what they'll do next. Worry weighs down our souls. We need the good news of Jesus. The church has not always been associated with good news. Sadly, I think it's become less and less associated with the very foundation of what Christ followers were to be about, this good news. Instead, a church can be known for a critical spirit, for harsh judgment, for circling the wagons and disconnecting ourselves from those who are suffering. Many times people see First, the way we treat others, the way we are divided or exclude on the basis of race, how we treat women and children and people of different sexual orientation. Many people think of the church as synonymous for being hard on people. Many of us feel perhaps unqualified right now to engage in conversation or be a part of change in the world right now. How can we make a difference? What can this actually look like? Some even have admitted that they feel the stress of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing, that perhaps it could even be more harmful than just being silent. If you feel your frailty, if you don't feel qualified, my word to you is perfect. It's never been dependent on us. An honest, open willingness to love and to be a part of the good news is what matters. Turn to the one who comes 
Jesus who announces the beginning of good news and who commits to the ongoing redemption process, the renewal of all things. Yes, there will be repentance. Yes, there will be forgiveness in the journey. Yes, there will be a turning and a renewal for all of us. It's part of it. When we get close to Jesus, Ellen White describes that we begin to actually see more of the challenges in our own life, more of the way that we don't love well. And then we allow God's Spirit to work in us even more at that point. Rosa Parks says this, to bring about change, you must not be afraid to take the first step. We will fail when we fail to try. We must not be afraid of the hard conversations or of the changes that might need to happen in our own hearts and lives and in our own families because Jesus is committed to doing the work in us and through us. It's never been dependent on us, but Jesus, if we make space for Jesus to speak into our lives and into this time, Jesus promises to work. In his book, 1776, David McCullough wrote about a critical year in American history as his response to the attacks on September 11, 2001. Now, some of you graduates, graduates, you might have actually been born on or near that year. Many people were saying at the time, we've never faced anything this severe before. And David wrote to show that we had and that we survived. There's no question we're facing challenge right now. We have systems of injustice that have been in place for so long. How we treat members of our society that are black and brown in a different way than how we treat those who are whites is challenging, painful, horrifying. We have problems to face. While we might disagree with how change should happen, we can all agree as believers in Christ that change is needed. There's no question that we are challenged right now with unemployment, with a, a virus that shut things down for so long, with virus that caused death and heartache. It's gone through our world and it's challenged us. We can think of this as unprecedented and oh so difficult, or we can dig in. We can dig into history and dig into the scriptures and see that the church has faced challenge before. That just like him in writing about our nation, we have overcome before. We faced injustice before. We've seen systemic brokenness before. We've seen plagues before. We've seen these challenges of persecution. There are resources for us in the word of God. Isaiah chapter 40 is what's quoted in the beginning of Mark. Mark chapter 1 draws on this section in Isaiah. The new story of Jesus actually connects with a story of God's promises, that God's promises were being fulfilled. The experiences of yesterday help us with today. And Mark says at this time, actually when he's writing in his present day, the, the writings of Isaiah are around 600 years old. So he says, what God promised yesterday is being fulfilled today. Isaiah goes back and forth in Isaiah 40 between an image of God as shepherd carrying lambs 
and this mind-blowingly powerful and large image of God where people are like grasshoppers, he describes. And it ends with this verse that you've probably heard so many times, I will run and not grow weary, I will walk and not faint. God will renew my strength, my trust is in the Lord. I can't help but chant that verse because of Pastor Angel Smith who's at the seminary right now. Uh, she served in Philadelphia, we served together there, and she would chant this and it was so encouraging, it would just lift your heart up right away. I will run and not grow weary, I will walk and not faint. God will renew my strength. My trust is in the Lord. That's where Isaiah 40 ends. Now, why does God need people to make a path straight? Why does God need a people who run and don't get tired? Why does God need a people whose hope is continually being renewed? This is all very earthy, isn't it? You see, God uses people to do the work of making all things new. It began with Jesus and now it continues and God is saying, I, I don't want you to grow weary. I, I don't want you to get to the point where you have no hope. You must run this race and you must keep on going because this is the beginning of the good news. This isn't the whole story of good news. Jesus is inaugurating something that is just the start. And I want to showcase good news for all through your lives in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. No, no, this isn't the end. This is only the beginning. The faith in Jesus that carried the early church through persecution and through hardship, through the bad news of their day, will carry us through now. There's no reason for us as believers in this century to believe that the good news will be unable to withstand the weight of what we face today. The good news could withstand their hardship and their trial and their suffering and the destruction of the temple. And the good news can withstand the burdens of your heart and of mine. This is the message of the three angels. The good news for all people, every tribe, every language, every nation, good news. This week I heard powerful presenters in our North American Division online summit called Let Justice Roll. Pastor Darnisha Thomas is a pastor in Minneapolis, St. Paul, who's been serving and working on the front lines after the murder of George Floyd right there in her city. She's been serving in some significant ways. Here's what she said this week. This is not a moment, but of movement. Friends, this is not a moment, this is a, a movement. The reconciliation, the renewal of all things is, is an ongoing process and a commitment to show up, to be present, to serve. Something we're learning a lot from you, generations who are graduating right now, Gen Z and others, we are learning and seeing this evidenced in your lives. This is not a marathon, but a sprint. I will run and not grow weary. I will walk and not faint. God will renew my strength. My trust is in the Lord. Let us run. Let's have hope. Let's persist because God is doing this thing. It's only the beginning of the good news. We come to this word of God and we're reminded that God is in this process of making all things new. 
Mark uses each word in the scriptures intentionally. He's, it's a very concentrated gospel. Each word has meaning and purpose, and wilderness is used twice in, in just these first eight verses of the gospel of Mark. For many of you, I don't have to tell you that life can be like a wilderness, a barren and lonely place, rough and difficult. But the challenge to us is to hear the good news in the wilderness, the voice of one calling out from the wilderness. For us to tune in and to sit in silence to hear the voice of God. We need, desperately need, to make space for Jesus. At this moment, we need to listen to Jesus more than our favorite commentators, more than our favorite voices online, more than our friends, more than our fear, fears, more than our anxieties. We need Jesus, friends. The one who is renewing all things, the one who's committed to working in your life and in mine. Yes, Mark. Mark will tell us about a Jesus that we don't expect how he's not who we would think he would be, how Jesus makes space in our lives because suddenly he's doing things according to his plan and not ours. Mark will show us a God who rules from the cross, not from the throne. Most of all, Mark will show us that it all began when God came. A God who has sandals on. Now, John says, the one whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. But if you really pause and hear these familiar words again, these words that have grown so familiar that they hardly have meaning anymore, God has sandals on. The Almighty brings an upending of our expectations and in the midst of all the bad news, proclaims good news because God has come with sandals on. God has entered into our world. The Talmud reminds us, and I quote, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now, love mercy now, walk humbly now. You're not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Oh no, it's not up to you to complete it, but you're called to it. This is just the beginning. One poem that went uh, viral online all over uh, Instagram, Facebook, and then it was featured on talk shows and made it even more popular is this poem, What If 2020 Is Cancelled by Leslie Dwight. I'm going to read it for you. What if 2020 isn't cancelled? I'm sorry, isn't cancelled. What if 2020 isn't cancelled? What if 2020 is the year we've been waiting for? A year so uncomfortable, so painful, so scary, so raw, that it finally forces us to grow. A year that screams so loud, finally awakening us from our ignorant slumber. A year we finally accept the need for change, declare change, work for change, become the change. A year we finally band together instead of pushing each other further apart. 2020 isn't canceled, but rather the most important year of them all. I love that. This isn't news to God. This year, this beginning of the good news, something that God desires to continue even now. 
through your life and through mine. God desires to work in you. And maybe, just maybe, there have been some other voices that have been crowding out the space in your life and in mine. Would you just take a moment to think of what crowds out the voice of God? How is it that God might be inviting you to let there be room to hear the voice of Jesus in your own life? So just pause for a moment. Now you might just confess out loud. You might write it down. You might just speak it in your heart. But what is keeping you from hearing the voice of Jesus in your life? How is it that you want to invite God to continue the good news work in your life? 